Several of the songs that we have been enjoying worshiping through uh, this morning have highlighted the promise of God, the promises made. And promises are very interesting things to think about. Promises can get us very excited. They can sustain us in very dark seasons of our lives. But at the same time, or or alternatively, it might be the better way to phrase it, promises can completely turn us off if we say, eh, I've heard that before. See, it depends on whether the one who makes the promise is reliable or not. If somebody that you really trust, who has proven themselves worthy of that trust, makes a promise, right, you get excited, don't you? But if it's somebody who's got a long history of failing you, of breaking your promises, you just kind of assume it's another failure waiting to happen, right? Been there, done that, read the book. Well, as you already know, we are gathered this morning to sing, to pray, to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. And this has tremendous significance, right? The rising of Jesus from the dead is easily the most important thing to happen in the history of humankind. The rising of Jesus from the dead has enormous implications for our lives and our futures. But at a very basic level, the resurrection of Jesus means that he kept an extraordinary promise, which he had made several times, A promise that he was going to die and that he was going to come back to life a few days later. Now, let's step back and recognize that this is a huge promise, right? It would have been an unbelievable promise. If I told you that today I'm going to die and then in two days you're going to see me walking around alive, you might have some doubts about me. And it's clear that at the time, nobody really understood or believed Jesus when he made that promise, and yet he kept the promise, which is what we're celebrating this morning. Because he kept the promise, we can enjoy and count on his promises, all of his promises that he has made to us. Jesus kept his promise, so he will keep his promises. This means that we can be excited about the promises of God, about the promises that Jesus made. It means that our world and our lives are radically different because of the promises that we can trust. I read this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, and then 16 through 20. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. 
Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now today on Resurrection Sunday, what we commonly call Easter, we celebrate that Jesus kept his promise to rise from the dead. You see, at the end of Matthew 27, Jesus died. He was crucified on Friday. He was nailed to a cross to slowly suffocate there over a period of about six hours. He was nailed there by Roman soldiers who were masters at inflicting pain and death on people. And he died. And he was buried in a nearby cave tomb. And a Roman military guard was put in place to prevent anyone from stealing his body. Today's passage picks up the story, continuing in the pre-dawn darkness of Sunday morning. Some women went to see Jesus' tomb when an earthquake occurred. An angel appeared. The enormous round stone, like the one in the picture there, was rolled away. And the angel sat down on top. Now, as normally happens when angels appear, everybody present was completely terrified. The battle-hardened Roman soldiers are going all scooby-doo, and they're trembling and quaking, and their knees are knocking, and then it seems like they may have even fainted. The women held things together a little bit better. It's good for them. And the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. Knowing that they had come to see the tomb of Jesus. The angel emphasizes in verse 6, He is not here, for He has risen as He said. The angel was reminding them of Jesus' promise that He was going to rise from the dead. Three times before, Matthew's Gospel records that He told His clueless disciples He was going to be killed, and then He was going to rise from the dead on the third day. The angel invites them, look inside this empty tomb. Once you are satisfied, hurry and go tell the other disciples that Jesus was alive and that he was going to meet them about 80 miles north in Galilee. The women ran off. They were filled with a mixture of fear and great joy. I think we could maybe understand that, right? They love Jesus, so there's a lot of joy, and yet they've encountered an angel. They've encountered something they've never heard of before, someone rising from the dead. And they suddenly run into Jesus himself. He greets them, and they fall to the ground and and grab a hold of his feet, the feet of a living, breathing man who's been raised from the dead. 
Right? This was no ghost, no dream, no hallucination. This was a man with feet you could grab a hold of. But he was so much more than a man. Right? In that moment, these women understood that Jesus was God, and so they worshipped him. And what did he say? He repeated what the angel had said, Do not be afraid. And then he sent them to tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, as a note, in the Gospel of Matthew, whenever Jesus refers to his brothers, he's, he's talking expansively. He is talking about all of his followers, not just the, the remaining 11 closest disciples. So it is probably an invitation to not only for the 11, but to bring the whole entourage, if you will, on the road to Galilee to meet him. The emphatic, overwhelming point of these first 10 verses is exactly what we celebrate this morning, that Jesus of Nazareth who had been dead, was now physically alive. This morning fulfilled what had to have been the craziest, most impossible-seeming promise ever made by Jesus. Right, A promise that he had explained in John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Right? Jesus claimed that he was going to voluntarily die, and that he had the authority to raise himself from the dead. I mean, what a crazy promise. This is the promise the angel is referring to when, when he talks to these women in verse 6. This is the promise that would have seemed nuts, except Jesus did it. And since he kept his most extraordinary promise, it means that we can absolutely trust he will keep his other promises. And that is incredibly good news for us. Because Jesus promised his followers will also rise from the dead. He promised that what he did for himself, he would do for each and every one of his followers. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, how can this possibly be? Because Jesus transforms us. Through him, we are transformed into what God made us to be. See, God created us in his image. He made us for life. He made us to walk with Him, to love Him, to be loved by Him forever. And yet we have separated ourselves from Him by choosing ourselves and our desires and our plans and our will over His on so many different occasions in our lives. Think about it. God made us to love each other, and yet how many times have we been unloving, even to those who are closest to us. God made us to honor and respect Him, but how many times have we dishonored and disrespected Him? 
God made us to flourish and enjoy life by following his good design and pattern for life. And yet, how many times have we instead chosen whatever felt good in the moment? Whatever got us ahead at school or work at the expense of others. Whatever hurt or disrespected other people who were made in God's image as well, just for us to feel powerful or popular or comfortable or in control or safe or superior? How many times have we each messed up with our words and our thoughts and our actions? How many times have we looked at or done things we shouldn't or failed to say and do what we should? Personally, I cannot begin to count the number. And I suspect that's true for everyone in this room and everyone in this world. And all of this is sin. Sin that utterly separates us from the sin-free, the pure, the perfect, the holy, the just God who cannot permit sin into His presence. Each sin, whether it is big or small, and that's a human category. God doesn't have that category. Each sin brings the penalty of death upon each of us. And we need to understand that when mankind fell into sin, it brought death and pain and suffering and weakness and conflict and struggle right with it. Work became broken. Some of you can probably agree with that statement. Families became broken. Many of you have experienced that. Friendships became broken. Bodies and minds and emotions became broken. We can each share stories of how this is true. The entire earth and all within it became broken. And amidst all that brokenness and the inevitability of death, we have no hope on our own. No matter how disciplined, how moral, how hardworking we might be, it will never be good enough. No matter how many times we we promise to do better, to work harder, that this time it's going to be different, that we're never going to do that again, we will fail. We will fall short. We will trip up. We will stumble and fall deeper into sin and guilt and shame and worry and anxiety and fear and pain. Because our sin creates a separation bigger than the Grand Canyon between us and God. And all of this is what Jesus came to reverse. He is the eternal Son of God. He has always existed. He is God Himself, as those (coughs) women recognized the moment they saw Him that morning. But Jesus chose to enter our world and to take on a human nature and a human body and be born as a baby in Bethlehem that first Christmas, and he did it. He, he entered into our world so that he could experience firsthand the temptation, the suffering, the sadness, and the weakness, the pain, and the, the confusion that we know so well from our daily lives. But unlike us, Jesus resisted every temptation at every step of his difficult life. 
And so he was completely innocent and holy and righteous when those Roman soldiers nailed him to that cross. And that infinite innocence of God who became a man was the key. Because at the cross, Jesus traded his innocent life for our guilty ones. Through the sacrifice of his innocent blood, he paid the penalty owed to our completely just God, his Father. At the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for all of my sins and all of your sins and all of your neighbor's sins. And in those hours that he hung on the cross, Jesus took God's righteous punishment for our sin on himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains, for our sake, our sake, our benefit, yours and mine, he, God, made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Somebody had to pay for our sins, but thanks to the sacrifice of Jesus, it doesn't have to be us. God sent Jesus into this world, up to that cross, into that tomb, and out of that tomb as a gift to us. A gift that redeems our sin and our brokenness and offers us the life we were originally made to enjoy. Romans 10, 8 and 9 explain how we accept that gift. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is the life-giving belief that Jesus is talking about when he promises, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never When we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, when we trust in him as Lord and Savior, when we embrace his sacrifice on our behalf, we are promised, we are guaranteed eternal life. As believers in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven because he's paid the penalty for them. And our shame and guilt have been washed away by his sacrifice. That massive separation from God, bigger than any separation we can comprehend, is not our reality anymore. We are restored to relationship with the God who loves us so much that He sacrificed His Son to restore that relationship. We are guaranteed that one day we will live forever in God's glorious presence and enjoy an eternity that is free of these Terrible things we know too well. Death and pain and sadness and fear and suffering. But through Christ, we are promised much more. Because Christ's resurrection doesn't simply change our final destination. It is radically changing our present reality. 2 Corinthians 5.17 celebrates, Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our lives today are transformed by 
following the risen Jesus. His Spirit lives within us. We are literally new creations, right? God no longer views us in light of our mistakes, in light of our failures, in light of our sin. God sees us in light of His Son living within us. Right? That's a game changer. That is a reality change. We are empowered to live these lives of transformation, these lives in which God sees us as Christ. Lives of significance and purpose and meaning and value. Lives of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Shouldn't we all want to live those lives? That sounds pretty good. See, Jesus didn't just come for us to finish well. He promised that he came so that we would have life and have it abundantly. That is a promise for the here and now and not just the someday later. This is the good news of Easter Sunday. It's not just all chocolate bunnies as good as those are. It's not just about living forever as incredibly glorious as that is. It is about living abundantly now. It's about living with a purpose. But let's be clear. We don't get to choose that wonderful purpose. God already chose our purpose in Christ. That's the final part of the passage today. The final promise we're going to explore this morning. The promise of verses 16 through 20, where Jesus promised to be with us as we live fearlessly going and telling this good news. Matthew's gospel begins and ends. It is bookended by the promise that God will be with us. Right? At Christmas, we celebrate Matthew 1.23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. The final verse of Matthew gives this same promise to everyone who follows Jesus. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the promise of Emmanuel, the promise of God with us, that Jesus will be with us. And the language of verse 20 in the original Greek says literally all of the days. Think about that. God with you all of the days. This is a promise that we can trust. Why? Because Jesus proved himself trustworthy when he rose from the dead. This is a promise we can trust because Jesus keeps his promises. But there's a purpose for his presence in our lives. As verse 16 begins, Jesus' disciples... Certainly the 11 closest disciples, but most likely it's that entire entourage. His brothers, if you will, and sisters, because that's how gendered European languages work. His followers have walked to Galilee. As promised, Jesus appeared. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul describes a time when the risen Jesus appeared to 500 or more of his followers. This may well be that moment up on that mountain in Galilee. 
Now, his closest disciples, they'd already encountered him, felt him, touched him in the inner room in Jerusalem. So, so they know right away the deal. They fall to their knees and start worshiping. But some of the others, that larger group, they're kind of confused about what's going on, and so they hesitate. And that's what this phrase, but some doubted, that's what this phrase actually means in the original Greek. It's not talking about, you know, they're doubting what they see. That's a different word. They're hesitating to throw themselves into worship. They're not sure whether it's appropriate. They're not sure what these, this wild turn of events means. But in response, Jesus says, yep, you're absolutely right to worship me. Because I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is literally the Lord of everything. And passing through death and resurrection, Jesus was given lordship over all creation. And in light of that, he gives his followers their marching orders for thousands of years to come. Make disciples by going and telling. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that earlier in this chapter, both Jesus and the angel told the women, what did he tell them? Don't fear, go and tell. And now he tells all of his followers throughout all of time to come, don't fear, go and tell. Who should be told? All the nations. What should they be told? All the things Jesus commanded. By what authority? All authority. For how long? All the days. To the end of the age until Jesus returns. In the original Greek, there are four alls in these last couple verses. All authority, all the nations, all the things, all the days. That is a very all-encompassing mission for our lives. We don't have to wonder what the purpose is for our lives because this is the purpose for our lives. We don't have to be afraid of it, as scary sounding as it might be. And trust me, for a lot of Christians, this is scary stuff. But we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is with us. Within these verses lie the promise of the presence of Jesus and the purpose for our lives, to share this hope and good news that in Christ everyone can live forever that life has meaning and significance and purpose and value, that God is seeking us out because he loves us and that we can be reconciled to him forever through Jesus. Now here at Lakers Baptist Church, we call that being the lighthouse. Because as a church, we are called to be a lighthouse for Christ at the corner of Clipper and Mariner. In this community, right, this is our God-given vision to serve and love the communities surrounding us and share the love and good news of Jesus Christ with those who don't yet know him, but he sure does love them already anyway. Our emphasis is to live that vision individually and as a church, to be the lighthouse. We know this is our calling by God because we are beneficiaries of the very best good news ever. Jesus rose from the dead, and he promises we will rise as well if we believe in him. This is news so good, we can't keep it to ourselves, and it would be a sin if we tried. Jesus promises to be with us every single day, on our good days and our lousy days, on our happy days and our sad days, on our popular days and our lonely days, on our healthy days and our sick days, on our victorious days and our days of defeat. He is with us precisely so that we can go and tell, just as the women at the tomb did, as the disciples gathered on the mountaintop did, because God's work 
of new creation goes on and on. And we are each a part of it through the promises of Jesus. Please pray with me. Father God, we celebrate today this incredible reality of your son Jesus rising from the dead, physically resurrected from death. And there were so many witnesses in those days, and it so transformed their lives. Because it meant that all of the things, all of the wild things Jesus had promised were true. Lord God, let the resurrection of Jesus transform our lives. For we know that we can trust Jesus and the promises that he had made, has made. The promises that through faith in him we shall live forever. And so Lord, if there are any here who have not yet made that leap of faith, who have not yet trusted in your Son as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray, pray that they would make that choice. That they would embrace the promise of Jesus, that he is the resurrection and the life. Lord God, I pray that as people of the promise, you would help us to remember each day, to enjoy, to delight in the promise that our lives do not have to be lives in which we question why are we here or what is the point. That you have told us that our lives have value, that they have meaning, that they have purpose, that you love us for who we are in Christ. Lives that have purpose because you have told us to go build your kingdom. Lives that have purpose because you have told us to go and love each other. And to show that love to those who haven't yet experienced your love. Father God, transform us to the power of your promises kept, your promises made. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.